0: Zig Ziglar used to tell the story about Howard Jones. You may have heard this story before. It was a great story. It takes place in the 1970s. Uh, Howard Jones was a man who would travel for business quite often. He would travel from uh, New York to Chicago and, and, and back and forth. But he, he lived in New York. Uh, and and the, as the story goes, remember this is back in the 70s before computers and smartphones and all that. Not before computers, but before laptops and, and, and smartphones and that sort of thing. Uh, but Howard Jones had spent a week in Chicago, and he was tired. He'd been in business meetings all week long. He'd had a long day. Uh, and he was hoping to catch the last flight home to New York. It left about 10.30. And so he gets to the airport, uh, and he has a little bit of time before his flight leaves. And he notices they have a new uh, machine over there in the corner, and it says, uh, guess your weight, learn all your vital statistics. And so he goes over to the machine, Uh, And he he puts some money in. It's one of those carnival-type things. Uh, And he steps on the scales and says, "Uh, your name is Howard Jones. You weigh 185 pounds. You are 43 years of age. And you're waiting for the 1030 flight to New York. And he thought, well, man, this is amazing. I can't believe that. And he goes and he sits down, and uh, and, and it just kind of weighs on him a little bit. And he says, man, how does that machine know all of that information? I, I wonder if it can do the same thing again. So he goes over to the machine, Uh, Pits in a little bit more money, and the machine comes on. It says, uh, your name is still Howard Jones. You still weigh 183 pounds. You're 185 pounds. Uh, You're 43 years of age, and you're still waiting for that 1030 flight to New York. Well, now he's, he's kind of perplexed and frustrated. He wants to know, how's this machine figuring this out? He goes and sits down. And it's just really getting on his nerves. And so I am going to do this one more time. This, this, this has got to be some kind of trick. I can't figure out how this works. And so he goes back over, puts his money back in the machine, uh, and the machine says, your name is still Howard Jones. You still weigh 185 pounds. You're still 43 years of age, but you just missed the 1030 flight <laughs> to New York City. He got distracted. He was there for the purpose of getting on an airplane to go home. But he got distracted by something that caught his attention, that that little machine in the corner. And sometimes as Christians, we might be distracted. Sometimes there are things that pull us away from our mission as the church or as God's people uh, because we're distracted. It may not be anything bad. Sometimes good things distract us from our mission. When we look at the life of Jesus, Jesus always had his mission in mind, and he was not distracted by his mission. And one of the great stories of the New Testament that remind us of this and reveals this to us is the story of Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19. So if you have your Bibles, be turning to Luke chapter 19. And as you turn over there to Luke chapter 19, there's a couple of things that we want to try to do with this this morning, I, I realize uh, that this is a, a popular story. Uh, many people have heard of the story of Jesus and, and Zacchaeus. We tell it to our little kids. Uh, and, and so if you've been around much, you may have heard this story before. I, I'm assuming that most people here know this story. But Luke chapter 19, we have the story of Zacchaeus. As we look at this story, I want us to notice, first of all, Jesus' passion to reach open hearts of lost souls. I want us to think about the role of repentance in our lives. And then I want us to conclude this morning by thinking about adopting Jesus' techniques. So let's read this passage together and then come back and notice some of these things. Luke chapter 19, uh, beginning in uh, verse 1. Luke tells us that he, that is Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. And there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus, And he was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was, and was unable because of the crowd, for he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see him, for he was about to pass through that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. And he hurried and came down and received him gladly. When they saw it, they all began to grumble, saying, He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, half of my possessions I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save That which was lost. As we look at this story and we look at this text, uh, the first question that comes to our mind, perhaps, as we think about Jesus' passion to reach open hearts of lost souls, the first question we might ask is, well, well, who was Zacchaeus? What can we know about him? And it's not necessarily a new question, uh, a question maybe we've we've pondered in the past, uh, but we're told, first of all, as we look at this in verse 2, that Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. He wasn't just a, a, a low guy in the totem pole, uh, but he was the chief or a chief tax collector. And this is important because uh, the Romans had a different way of collecting taxes. Uh, they used a method that sometimes today is called tax farming. That sounds fun, doesn't it? Tax farming? Uh, but tax farming. And basically what they would do is they would make contracts with someone else to go out and collect the tax. And that way they didn't have to fool with an administration for Collecting taxes, a novel idea, right? Uh, And so people would contract to do that. But the way it worked is you basically paid all the tax for that given place at the beginning of the year. That took quite a bit of money to be able to do that. So oftentimes uh, you might have wealthy investors or wealthy individuals that would go in together to operate this type of business. But the fact that Zacchaeus is described as as a chief tax collector suggests that he was the primary... Investor. He was the man leading this group. If it was in fact a group, if not, he was very, very wealthy to be able to do this. Uh, and, and Rome, the Romans collected taxes in different ways. Uh, there wasn't just necessarily an income tax or a tax on everything, uh, but oftentimes they had taxes on, on, for instance, main roads coming into the territory. Where Jericho was on the main road coming in from Perea or to Transjordan. So if you think about a map of the of the Middle East today. It's the other side, the, the east side of the Jordan River. Uh, and so people coming into this province would come into Jericho. Uh, and, and you would have to pay taxes on the things that you brought in. Uh, and so uh, everything crossing that road, apparently Zacchaeus was responsible for. And so he was very rich to be able to put that money uh, year by year at the beginning of the year. Uh, but here's the way it worked. The Romans had prescribed what different things would cost as a duty coming into their ter- province or their territory. The tax collectors knew what that was. But there wasn't an internet. There, wasn't, there weren't smartphones where you could look up and say, now how much is it for a camel? Again, to bring a camel in. Uh, and so oftentimes, oftentimes people wouldn't necessarily know and the tax collector would just say, well that's 20 bucks. They didn't have bucks. 20 denarii or whatever it was. Uh, and uh, that's, what, that's, that's what you would pay. Uh, and so it was easy for tax collectors to maybe make a little bit extra on the side. And in fact, it was expected that they would charge the tax and then a little bit more as a fee, but no one really kept track. The, 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 these tax collectors were not required to make a report to the Roman government. The Roman government just said, here's how much tax we expect to have on that, that installation every year, and so you would pay that. Uh, and, and so it was very lucrative. It was a very lucrative position to have, and, and um, that's who Zacchaeus was. Uh, probably this was a toll or a tariff, and it was somewhat subjective because the tax collector could put whatever additional fees he wanted to have uh, on those goods coming in. Uh, and so, uh, as you can imagine, people didn't like that so much. If, if it could be shown that a t- tax collector w- was fraudulent, uh, he could be required to restore one and a half times the amount under Roman law. Jewish law, if you remember reading in your Old Testament in Exodus, if you defrauded somebody, if you stole from somebody, most items you'd have to pay back double. Certain types of livestock you might have to pay back three times or five, four times as much. The reason this is important is because when we look at this story and we talk about repentance in, in just a few minutes, we we'll are going to see that Zacchaeus goes beyond even what the Jewish law requires. Contractors were not required to keep uh, detailed accounting. Uh, and, and so, uh, like I said, it was very lucrative. Ch- chief collectors were responsible for themselves and everyone that they employed. So if you can imagine, you're the head honcho. You're probably not the one sitting out on the side of the road collecting the taxes. But you were responsible to make sure that all the taxes was collected. Uh, and if someone did defraud somebody else that you employed, you were responsible for that. And so he's a very important person in the eyes of the Romans, uh, in the eyes of the Jews, but probably everybody hated his guts because of who he was, because of the job he had. I mean, think about it. Do you go up and hug your local IRS agent? Probably not, right? Uh, you probably don't go into your county assessor and say, hey, you're doing a great job, keep it up. You know, uh, Those aren't things that we like to do. And so Zacchaeus was a man who was disliked by Jew and Gentile Alike, uh, Jews considered them to be, uh, tax collectors to be on par with thieves and, and considered them to be in an unclean state of sin. And they, they felt this way for a couple reasons. One, they were collecting a Gentile tax. And they were corroborators with a foreign dominating power. Uh, and so there was sin there because of the contact with the Gentiles and the agreement with the Gentile nation But then there was the idea of defrauding because it was very easy for them to defraud people, right? Uh, Not knowing what tax they really owed and and making people pay more than they actually owed. Uh, But since they weren't required to keep detailed records of, of what people paid them, if you did repent of your sin, how could you really go back and tell somebody, you know what, I defrauded you because you'd lost track of that. It would be impossible for you to know all of those things. And so to the Jews, I thought these people are people that live in sin. Constantly in sin, daily in sin, because of both of these scenarios that I've just described. In fact, when you look at the text, they they look at Zacchaeus and say, he's going to the home of a sinner. What sin had he done? What sin had he done? So they're assuming that as a tax collector, he's defrauded, folks, and, and has lived in that sin. And because of that, they do not like him. The Jews or the Gentiles would not have liked him uh, because he was a a Jew. And so he was probably a highly unliked individual no matter how you cut it. As Jesus traveled between Galilee and Perea and Judea, his fame precedes him. Did you notice the text again as we look uh, in verse 2, in verse 3 rather? Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was was who Jesus was. So evidently he had heard of this Jesus fellow, maybe heard about some of his teaching, maybe heard about uh, the miracles he had done, and and he but he's never been around Jesus before. He'd not seen Jesus before. And so he wants to well who is this Jesus guy that everyone's talking about? I want to go and see who this guy is. And so he goes out to the road and, and there's already a large crowd there and he's one of these short guys. You know, my dad used to always sing for us, for me and my sister, uh, short people. You know, it was a very uh, derogatory song. But my dad was a lot taller than I was. He'd always sing that to me. That was I, thank you, Dad. Right? Uh, but Zacchaeus was, was very short. And uh, so Zacchaeus, obviously because of the crowds, he's not able to see Jesus. And look again at verse 3. It says, He runs ahead and climbs a sycamore tree. He knows which road Jesus was traveling down, and he's able to say or to know where Jesus is headed. So he runs ahead of the crowds and climbs the tree. Have you ever caught that before? Well, I've always heard that story before. I think there's a Zacchaeus song. See, I never teach a little kid's class. There's a Zacchaeus song, you know, and it talks about him climbing the tree. But it's not like he's just in the crowd and he can't see, so he climbs a tree to see. He really wants to see who Jesus is. This is his second attempt. In the second attempt, he runs ahead and climbs a tree so that when the crowd's coming with Jesus, following Jesus, he's able to see Jesus. Zacchaeus was focused on seeing Jesus. He really wanted to see Jesus. Whether or not he had faith in Jesus, really, uh, whether or not he had depth, deep knowledge of Jesus seems improbable because he wants to know who he is, but he wants to see Jesus. And as we look at the text, Jesus stops. Look at verse 5. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. Jesus becomes focused and stops and looks at Zacchaeus. Jesus had the ability to know hearts and minds and thoughts. You and I don't have that ability. In most cases. Sometimes people just wear everything on their sleeve and you can see. But for the most part, we don't know what's in people's hearts or their minds or their thoughts. But Jesus did. And Jesus sees Zacchaeus, this man who's now gone to pretty great lengths uh, to, to come and see Jesus. And he says, Zacchaeus, I'm going to your house today. Are you blown away when somebody you haven't seen in many, many years or maybe you've just met once or twice is able to call you by name? Folks, I am so bad with names. I'm liable to get your name mixed up today, right? Uh, I'm I'm liable to forget your name. Occasionally you meet those those individuals that they meet you once and they know your name. And they call you by name. And and, and when that happens, you're amazed at that. You think, Wow, I didn't think this person even knew who I was, knew I existed, and, and they know my name. Jesus has never met Zacchaeus, and he looks at him and says, Zacchaeus, do you think that got his attention? Do you think that Jesus won Zacchaeus' heart in that moment? At least to a certain extent. And then he says, Zacchaeus, I'm going to stay at your house today. Not only am I knowing your name, seeking to reach out to you, but I'm going to stay at your house. That would have been a huge honor in that day of time. Here this man is rejected by pretty much everyone else in the community, and Jesus says, I'm going to go stay at your house. And then all the people in the crowd start rebuking Jesus and and, and, and saying negative things about Jesus. This guy's going to go stay at a sinner's house? And, and Zacchaeus probably heard, hears that, right? Well, he's probably not going to come. Everyone else is saying, what a bad idea that is. Everyone else is saying, no, that's a foolish idea. Everyone else is wondering why he'd come to my house. Certainly he's going to back out. He's going to find a reason not to go. No. Jesus goes to his house. It's interesting when it says, stay at this house, stay at your house. It's about 17 miles between Jericho and Jerusalem. About a half a day's journey. We don't know what time it is that Jesus comes into Jericho. Uh, but Jesus could be just going for lunch, I suspect. But it's also very likely that Jesus was going to stay the night at Zacchaeus' house. Now, most of us today would be taken back by someone saying, hey, I'm going to come spend the night at your house. Jay, I'm going to come spend the night at your house tonight, right? Uh, no, you're not. What are you thinking, buddy? Right? Uh, but this was a different day and time, right? Tom Modet was not there. You know, there's no lights left on at Motel Six for you, right? Uh, and and people would have to take you into their houses, and it was pretty customary to do that. And, and so, but probably nobody, not very many people, stayed at Zacchaeus' house. And here's Jesus, and he says, Zacchaeus, I'm going to come to your house. I'm going to stay at your house. And so he does. Jesus slowed down and took time one-on-one with Zacchaeus. And even though everyone else grumbled, Jesus reveals his motive of being concerned about seeking and saving the lost. After the conversation, after that time, Zacchaeus repents. And again, we look at the text, verse 8. Zacchaeus stopped and said, Lord, behold, half of my possessions I'll give it to the poor. If I've defrauded anyone of anything, I'll give it back. Some translations may say, if I've brought false charges against anyone, I'll give back or pay restitution. And Jesus says, he too is a son of Abraham. Salvation has come. A statement of inclusion in the community. A statement of, of salvation from sin. And from this dialogue, verse 9 and 10, What we see is on a larger scale, or the big picture, Jesus is focused on the task of going to Jerusalem to die. This was his mission. He was on his way to Jerusalem on this trip to to go and die. He's told his apostles, this is what I'm going to do. And big picture, this was Jesus' task, to go and die for everyone to take away sins. Philippians chapter 2 tells us that this is why Jesus left his throne in heaven, to come to this earth and do this. But Jesus wasn't satisfied with just big group teaching. Jesus wasn't satisfied simply with standing before the crowds and talking about repentance and talking about the kingdom of hand. He did that too as part of seeking and saving the lost, but he was also interested in the individual and saving us one at a time. Because here's this man who's never met him, has only heard of him, but has heard enough that he wants to see who Jesus is. And he goes to some pretty great lengths to find out more about Jesus. And Jesus, knowing his heart and knowing his mind, says, Zacchaeus, I'm going to come to your house. And they had a conversation. And at the end of the conversation, Zacchaeus says, I'm going to truly repent. And Jesus says, salvation has come to this man's house. That's how much Jesus loves you and me. That he cares about us, not simply as part of a bigger whole, but as individuals. So that brings us to consider the role of repentance that we see in this story. We're not told what the conversation was between Jesus and Zacchaeus, but we do see the outcome. If I've defrauded anyone four times as much, I'll give back. Zacchaeus was going beyond or willing to go beyond what even the Old Testament law required in many cases. He promised to give a great portion of his wealth to the poor. Folks, that's true repentance. In the New Testament, there are two Greek words that we, sometimes, that we often see translated repentance. One is episterefo, which means to turn around or to turn or to walk a different way. The other other word is manana'o, which means to change the mind. So the first means to turn around, to change direction, to change a course, to change the way you're walking. That means you change behavior. And the other, to change the mind, means you change your thinking about something. Both of these words combined tell us what repentance is. Repentance isn't just saying, oh, I'm sorry, I kicked you this morning. right? And next, tomorrow morning I'm going to kick you again, all right? I might kick you all week. I don't know. I'm starting to feel honoring, all right? It's not just saying the words, I'm sorry. It's a change of behavior and a change of thinking. You know, if, if I know you don't like something, to stay out of trouble, I might stop doing that. But I haven't changed my mind about it. And it doesn't matter if I change my mind about something, but, but I never change my actions. Repentance is, and we see this with Zacchaeus, both things. Zacchaeus says, I'm not going to defraud anymore. I, I'm going to give back to those folks that I've defrauded. I'm going to give to the poor. He's changed his mind from, not, just, from, from just wondering, who is this Jesus guy? To really knowing who Jesus is. And coming to the conclusion, I want to follow Jesus. And his behavior follows along with that. And when we think about repentance in our lives, that's what we need to do. Not just give lip service to it, but to change our behavior and to change our thinking. I want to live for God. And living for God means I'm going to do these things differently. That's what repentance is. That's what we see here. In the story of Zacchaeus. In Acts chapter 2, and verse 38, when the crowds are there with Peter and the other apostles in Jerusalem, they say, What shall we do? And Peter responds. And his response is, Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, for all those who are far off. And so, but you see, Peter begins with, Repent change your heart, change the way of thinking, change your behavior, and be baptized. And that's what we see here with Zacchaeus. This brings us to the last point, and that is to consider how can we adopt Jesus' technique in the way that we interact with others? What can we do to adopt the techniques used by Jesus? Jesus was interested in building a relationship with Zacchaeus. And there are plenty of examples of Jesus working, doing miracles, teaching in crowds. And, and there is a place for that. There, we need to do those types of things. That's why we're here, right? At least partially on Sunday mornings. That's why we have Bible class. But there is also times in which Jesus worked individually. And that's where we need to work. That's where we need to work. We need to think about building authentic relationships with, with folks, working individually individually. With, with folks that we come in t- contact with in our lives. Here we see Jesus spending time one-on-one with Zacchaeus. And sometimes we need to spend time one-on-one with people that are not Christians, not doing non-Christian things with them, that is to say not doing sinful things with them, but spending time with people that we would normally spend time with. If you're a fishing guy, go fishing, right? You can, Guys, you can tell everyone the preacher said go fishing, right? If you're a bowling guy, go bowling. You two need to go bowling. Uh, If you hunt, go hunting, go camping, whatever whatever you do for fun in your life, do that and do that with some of your non-Christian friends and build real relationships. Nobody likes to be somebody's project. But if you truly are concerned about someone, those people that you have shared interests with, do those things with them. Jesus is willing to invest time with a person, by the way, that everyone else wrote off. And Jesus says, this man, too, is a son of Abraham. He seems to be rebuking the review uh, that those who had that occupation of of being tax collectors had abandoned the community. That's not the case, Jesus seems to be saying here. And Jesus did not spend time engaging in sin with Zacchaeus, but he did spend time with him. And so sometimes we need to do that, reach outside our comfort zone and spend time with, with folks, doing things that we normally would do with those folks and build relationships. And once we build relationships, as we talked about in our Bible class this morning, then you have trust, and you're able to uh, genuinely begin to have religious conversations with folks. Jesus' desire to establish a relationship with Zacchaeus made an impact on Zacchaeus. So that Zacchaeus was open to the idea of Jesus coming to his house and having a conversation. And that led to salvation for Zacchaeus. If this was Jesus' mission and passion, should it not be ours? It should be ours. And so how do we do it? First of all, we need to not worry about trying to identify soil. There are different techniques that people will use. Well, they'll talk about statistically how you identify who's ready for the gospel and who's not and that sort of thing. Folks, you're not always going to know. And sometimes you think you know. Oh, this person is definitely ready for the gospel. They're not ready at all. They don't want to talk to you about that at all. Other times we look at someone and say, oh, not that guy. Look how that guy dresses. Look how that guy talks. Look how this guy does this or that. And we think that guy's not concerned about the gospel at all. And that may be the person whose heart is ripe and and has pain in their life or, or has something else going on in their life, and they're ready. You just have to start the conversation and build the relationship and listen to what they're saying and invite the conversation. So you build authentic relationships. And at some point, you need to ask the question, would you be willing to have a Bible study? It doesn't matter. Now, you can't say the preacher says to go fishing if you never bring up the gospel with your fishing buddy. At some point, you have to step up and ask the question, do you mind if I have a Bible study with you? And maybe you don't feel comfortable having a Bible study. So you know what? You can call me and say, hey, do you mind if I... Have a Bible study. Can can you come join us with a Bible study? Yeah. I'll try to make that happen. But we need to ask those questions, and we need to be prepared to do that. And that's how we'll win souls one by one to the gospel. A man missed his plane because he was distracted by something in the corner. Not necessarily a bad thing, but he was distracted. And sometimes we might miss our mission as a church, or as God's people, because we just get distracted by something in the corner. Let's be like Jesus and not be distracted. Let him use us to save souls. Maybe you're here this morning, and you need to practice epistorefo, or metanoia, and repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Be united with Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection through baptism. Whatever you need, won't you come? As together we stand and sing.